Welcome to AJHP Voices, a series of discussions with AJHP authors and interviews focused on contemporary issues that drive health outcomes. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. Its mission is to advance science, pharmacy practice, and health outcomes. This is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices. I'm speaking with two of the co-authors of a three-part AJHB series on the creation of a complexity score to rank hospitalized patients at risk for preventable adverse drug events. With me is Dr. Almut Winterstein, who is Professor and Chair, Pharmaceutical Outcomes and Policy at the College of Pharmacy, University of Florida, and Dr. Thomas Johns, Director, Department of Pharmacy Services, UF Health Shands, University of Florida. Almut, uh, this project stemmed from the ASHP Practice Model Summit in 2010, where one of the recommendations was to develop a patient medication complexity index to help pharmacists prioritize hospitalized patients to monitor for drug-related problems. Is this correct? Yes, Bill, this is correct. Uh, the summit focused on uh, allowing and, and enabling pharmacists to play a larger role at the patient's bedside, and uh, there were also a lot of discussions about tools that could be developed to help that and to prioritize patients for pharmacist interventions. Um, in response to this, the ASHP Foundation put out an RFP, a request for proposals, which I responded to and was selected to build a score like that. Mm-hmm. Very good. Tom, from your perspective as a director of pharmacy services, give us a sense of the need for a rational, systematic approach to prioritize patients for pharmacist monitoring. I feel there's a very large need. As you know, pharmacy leaders are entrusted to be good stewards of the hospital's resources, and so we're always looking for tools that will make our clinical activities both more efficient and more effective. Is there anything you can say, Tom, about uh, the published data about the frequency of adverse drug events and the extent to which they are preventable? Well, we know they are large, and most people think readily about those high alert meds such as anticoagulants and drugs that affect uh, glucose levels in patients. Um, We still see Uh, harm events in hospitals today. And through the work we've done here at the University of Florida, we believe that many of those events are preventable if frontline clinicians uh, are given the necessary tools to be able to identify and act uh, upon a number of variables that may be impacting their risk level. Well, Alma, give us a sense of what is the current state of the art uh, based on what's in the pharmacy literature regarding methods for identifying hospitalized patients for pharmacist monitoring? The methods have typically relied on on information that can be easily obtained from a medical chart, Um, and that, of course, traditionally has been a paper record, and in the last few years with the uh, emergence of, of electronic health records, might have been an electronic health record, but typically that would still have been limited to a, to a small number of items that can be easily calculated. For example, there are scores that look at patients who are receiving more than four drugs or have more than four diseases, 
or as Tom mentioned earlier, patients who are receiving insulin or anticoagulants, um, you know, drugs that, that we know have a narrow therapeutic range and have, that have typically been involved in a large number of adverse drug events. The hospital pharmacies, pharmacy, of course, has also used its own tools just to try to prioritize patients, um, you know, on certain services. And I'll let Tom talk to how that is typically done. Sure. And she's absolutely right. When you look at clinical pharmacy services today, whether that be in an academic medical center or a smaller rural hospital, we know that we continually strive to identify which patients are most at risk and thus our need for clinical services. Those have namely occurred in ICU settings, Pediatrics, oncology, transplant is where the literature continues to bear out patients who uh, we think are most unique in their need for uh, pharmacy services. Almut, coming back to you, uh, briefly, how did you identify the 16 preventable adverse drug events that are the basis for the complexity score uh, that's reported in your articles? Yeah, Bill, so when we conceived this project, we thought that using something that is that is fairly broad is easy to do, but it also might lead pharmacists into the, into the wrong direction. So, for example, using algorithms like patients to receive at least four drugs or five drugs or six drugs, as we all know, that captures the majority of hospitalized patients, so that's not particularly unique, and many of those drugs might not be particularly harmful, and there might actually not be the big issues. Likewise, if we try to focus on um, patients who are at high risk for, for death or high risk for ICU admissions, um, so clear patient outcomes that are fairly general, we don't know whether there really is strong involvement of inappropriate drug therapy. We felt in order to have a score that really focuses on, on those things that pharmacists can address, we need to focus on preventable adverse drug events. So what we did was we did a systematic literature review, which was part of the first paper that was now published, that looked at the types of preventable adverse drug events that had been reported in the inpatient setting. We also had a national technical expert panel of uh, people who work very closely in the patient safety and medication error arena. We talked to ISMP to look at the major types of medication errors that are captured by that institution. So all of those were then summarized in a big survey that was sent to AZHP readership and our national technical expert panel as well for ranking. And that gave us basically a larger list of preventable drug events that people felt were prevalent or, or and or serious and that were uh, likely preventable. And that list then was reduced by a few, not that many, but by a few that we felt could either not be reliably measured in the hospital environment or were just too rare for us to measure. Uh, one example there is opiate-induced respiratory depression. This is considered one of the major issues that people typically talk about, in particular, you know, in the current environment of the opioid crisis. But we had literally only a handful of cases. So building a prediction model around this was, was simply not feasible. And I like to submit it probably is not a very prevalent concern for, for inpatient care. Um, differently so, obviously, for outpatient care. Mm -hmm. Well, the complexity score is calculated from data 
in electronic health records. Can you tell us how, in general, uh, the preventable ADEs are defined with respect to such data? Yeah, so the complexity score it's itself um, is, of course, an assembly of risk factors, and those risk factors are all obtained from discrete fields in the electronic health records. And we considered anything that is available in discrete fields, so from medication administration uh, records uh, over order sets to laboratory values, for the hypoglycemia measure that we developed, we even considered food intake, which is actually logged in a discrete field as the percent of the food tray that is eaten. So as long as there was a number attached to something that we could pull, we, we tried that to see how much information it would give us. The preventable adverse drug events, which is essentially the outcome that was used in those prediction models, were likewise uh, measured from electronic data fields, and that's described in the second paper uh, that was uh, just recently published in AJHP. So I'm curious, was the complexity score derived in a completely automated fashion based only on the data in the patient electronic health record? Yes, it was, and Bill, that was done on purpose because the idea was that the score can run in an automated fashion, real time, every morning without anybody doing anything and generate a list in the early morning hours for pharmacists that would essentially prioritize patients for their intervention. So everything was designed in a way that it can run completely automated. From the moment of extracting the data out of the electronic health record, an automated algorithm that cleans those data from extraneous values and normalizes it, and then basically runs the prediction algorithm and spits out a prioritized list of patients. Okay. Well, I think you maybe have covered this uh, a bit in uh, your last response, but let me just uh, probe a little further. As I understand it, your method first uh, identifies patients who are at risk for a preventable ADE, and then calculates the probability uh, for each of those selected patients of developing a preventable ADE. Is that correct? Yes, this is essentially correct. Now, being at risk for a particular PADE might vary. So, for example, for hyperglycemia, we considered every adult patient at risk for hyperglycemia because this is not something that only occurs in patients with diabetes. That could also occur in patients post-surgery, on steroids, or exposed to any other kind of stressor that would increase you know, glucose release. So that is a population where everybody would be at risk. But we also had a variety of drug-induced type of preventable adverse drug events, um, like hypoglycemia. So here, we would only look at patients who are on antihyperglycemic therapy at a given day and then predict their probability for developing hypoglycemia. Well, you report uh, in your papers that you tested the method at two academic hospitals. What were the main takeaway lessons from that testing? The testing worked quite well. Most of the prediction algorithms um, have a C statistic, which is one of the most commonly used metrics to define the predictive validity of, of an algorithm. That C statistic was for most of them somewhere around the 0.8 range, which would be considered quite good. So in comparison, um, you know, PSA for to as a detect as a as a surrogate for prostate cancer or SOFA scores um, that are used in ICUs usually rank lower in their predictive validity um, than what we had here. By considering uh, a broad range of of information, we were able to predict uh, preventable adverse drug events quite well. 
What is important to notice is that uh, in order to get all of this information, there is a good amount of work needed to clean and curate data to make it useful uh, from the EHR. Unfortunately, EHR data is not as standardized and not as cleaned as many other data sources, such as billing records that are heavily used in clinical research. But once this is done, um, it does work quite well. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if you could elaborate on that. Uh, earlier you said that uh, the score is calculated entirely from sort of in an automatic fashion from data that's in the electronic health record. Here you're talking about now the, the need to clean the data, massage mm -hmm. it in some way. Just to help us understand that. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when we take uh, laboratory values um, as a predictor for, for hypoglycemia, we will, we will find erroneous values. We will find people who have a blood sugar of 5,000 or zero. And um, if that was used in a prediction model um, as fair value, then a patient with a 5,000 might never be at risk, and a patient with a zero blood glucose might be massively at risk. But we both know that those values are humanly not possible. So, but that, that is generated um, in, in real life, and it's normal. We have the 5,000-kilogram man and, and, and things mm -hmm. like that just happen. Um, oftentimes, there are free text entries, even though something is made for a discrete numeric field, um, where somebody might say we couldn't obtain the value or whatever. So all of this information uh, needs to be cleaned to arrive at a really digitalized data set of zeros and ones, if you will. So everything has to become a number. And you know that is one first step in, in cleaning the data. Once that is done, the data needs to be used to, to define specific risk factors and variables. So that might be people exceeding a certain threshold of a particular laboratory value or um, you know, categorizing data in some more meaningful fashion to make it most predictable. So essentially, there's this step of taking the raw data, cleaning it, then using that raw data to create specific variables that are you know, the predictive risk factors that are being used, and then basically plugging all of this in a formula um, that is used to predict, to predict patients' risk. And what we do then is we essentially rank patients according to that risk. And uh, what we have done here in practice um, is to take the patients in the upper decile of that risk, so basically patients in the 90th percentile of their predicted probability for a particular uh, adverse drug event, and look what proportion of the real-life adverse drug events those patients really experience. And in most instances, this was above 50 to 60 percent of all the events that occurred were basically accumulated in that upper decile of patients, uh, which suggests to us that is a fairly good target to go for because, you know, so basically I just focus on the upper 10th percentile of all patients who are at risk for this particular event, but I should be able to capture at least half who will have the event. Sure. Well, at either of these two test hospitals, are they using uh, the complexity score now? Yes, actually both are using a portion of this, and that was an important um, piece when we started to talk about what we wanted to try out. It became pretty clear that we wanted to start smaller than with the entire score because the range of clinical services that would need to be covered were like quite large. So we decided on hypo and hyperglycemia, and we actually were able to obtain funding from this from the FDA. This is a study that is currently running. So we took our prediction model for hypo and hyperglycemia and implemented this prospectively. It runs around 4 a.m. in the morning hours every morning uh, in both institutions and does generate a list 
for pharmacist uh, intervention. And I let Tom talk to um, the first lessons learned um, about this. <laughs> it's been quite a learning process, Bill. Like almost said, we uh, operationalize these patient-identified lists each morning uh, at both hospitals and assign to specific pharmacists who are on duty that day. We've noticed interesting results over the last year. By design, we rolled out this tool with really very little uh, education around the core disease state just to kind of test the effectiveness of the model or the tool as, as a standalone entity. I think probably the biggest lesson learned so far is that uh, implementation of the tool alone is not sufficient to create uh, meaningful change. We believe that the tool combined with an intense educational effort uh, is probably the best programmatic uh, implementation strategy we would suggest to others going forward. So Tom, when you talk about an intense educational effort, you're, are you referring then to uh, how to uh, uh, usefully uh, interpret and uh, apply the complexity score? I would, and let me be a little bit more specific. I, I think yeah. most of us certainly know that in areas of the hospital where we have PGY2 trained, residency trained clinicians are in an active practice area, they certainly have the fundamental knowledge, skills, and expertise surrounding a wide variety of clinical syndromes. Interestingly, the majority of patients that are identified with this tool around hypo and hyperglycemia are not the patients, at least in our institutions, that are located in those areas today where we have PGY2 residency trained clinicians. It falls in more general areas of the hospitals that are covered uh, by pharmacists uh, with, I'll just say, a little less training than our specialist. Uh, sure. And in doing so, the tool as a standalone intervention uh, was, was probably less effective than it could have been uh, without properly educating the pharmacist before implementation. Okay. Yeah, I understand. That's uh, a good elaboration. Thank you, Tom. Alma, could you comment, uh, is there any additional research that is needed to fully develop a complexity score? that meets the original intent of providing validated guidance for pharmacist monitoring? Yes, Bill, I think the sky is the limit in this regard. Um, so you know, with respect to research, uh, as I mentioned, we, we focused on discrete fields in the electronic health record. Of course, there is a wealth of information sitting in the electronic health record that is not discrete, but that is still buried in progress notes and, and HNPs and such. Um, those, this information, um, you know, we, we did not integrate, but uh, integration of that might certainly improve scores even more. Likewise, uh, we did pull in outpatient information for those patients to the extent we had it. Uh, UF Health is an integrated health system where all clinics are uh, integrated into our electronic uh, health record system here. But patients who came from different providers, of course, their, their outpatient information we didn't have available. So as, as more of this gets integrated, of course, we will know about these patients and we can in, enhance the um, value of the score. The other thing that we're doing right now is we built the score 
um, as I said, to run in the early morning hours, considering information from the previous uh, days and to the extent possible from, from the outpatient environment. But this is really not yet a real-time score. It only runs once a day. Um, you know, technically, um, with more advanced EHR systems, that score could literally be updated anytime new information comes in. So, mm -hmm. and and for this, basically, patients could be prioritized on an ongoing fashion throughout the day. Um, you know, that is something that we haven't done it, and it's really a matter of the capability of these EHR systems. Um, you know, the computational capability, as well as to have that information flow in consistently to do that. Um, but that would enhance the clinical value for sure, as long as uh, pharmacists or whoever else or, or whoever else looks at this score, you know, is ready to to actually do something with it. Of course. Well, I wonder if both of you could comment on this point, uh, uh, based on your experience with this project. How feasible do you believe it is to create uh, sort of a plug-and-play automated method of identifying hospitalized patients who are in most need of pharmacist monitoring, something that uh, could be a standard feature of commercially available clinical decision support systems? Albert? Well, um, Bill, practice is going into this direction for sure. The bigger electronic health record uh, vendors certainly are starting to provide prediction models. Uh, the term analytics has become pretty much a buzzword as far as I can tell. So I think everything is moving in this direction. It is important in, in doing so, I think, to make sure that these predictive models really have a high predictive validity because one of the very big concerns is to create the same scenario as has been created with clinical decision support, that there's a lot of false negatives and people learn to override those alerts because um, they just are not relevant to their practice. Um, so one important part is to make sure that prediction algorithms really work and tell me really the patients that I need to look at. But I think this is a trend and, and a development that is going to happen um, over the next few years. Um, but it, it does require a good amount of effort in cleaning data, as we talked about earlier. And then, of course, once those prediction models are implemented, it also requires a process to maintain them uh, because information changes. And we had this already happen as we were rolling out our hypo and hypoglycemia measure here. Um, you know, there's new drugs that come on the market, there are new lab tests that happen, and all of this, of course, needs to be reintegrated into the score, which also means that the score needs to be rerun and revalidated um, to make sure that it still precisely identifies those patients we want to, we want to touch. Mm -hmm. Tom, what would you add? Just a, a slight bit more. You know, in today's EHRs uh, that we use uh, at both UF Health hospitals, uh, we have the ability to develop scoring tools within the functionality of the EHR today. Uh, we use that actively to identify, for example, patients who are at highest risk and uh, thus in need for pharmacist-driven medication reconciliation activities. We're here in the process of initiating the development of a readmissions scoring tool. Uh, so, so any tool that we have available to all of us to, to, to take out um, that, 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 that mental thought process that we have to do every single day uh, that, that adds to our abilities, not takes away from it, 
um, I think will only enhance uh, pharmacy practice in the future. Well, Almut and uh, Tom, th thank you so much for taking time uh, with me to have this discussion of uh, a series of three papers on a very important project, uh, developing a complexity score to help pharmacists uh, target patients for monitoring. Excellent conversation. Thank you. This has been a conversation with two of the co-authors of a three-part AJHP series on the creation of a complexity score to rank hospitalized patients at risk for preventable adverse drug events. I've been speaking with Dr. Almut Winterstein and Dr. Thomas Johns of the University of Florida. Thank you for listening. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, the premier source for impactful, relevant, and cutting-edge professional and scientific content that drives optimal medication use and health outcomes, please visit www.ajhp.org.